Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4094 of The Bugle, the audio newspaper viewed by historians and scientists as the closest available equivalent to having an ancient Egyptian tomb full of topical hieroglyphs collapse on top of you while you're trying to steal stuff for a museum from it. I am Andy Zaltzman, and I've had enough. Lunch. <laughs> so I'm all set and ready to go. <laughs> to sleep. And joining me this week... Bloody fonts. I'm telling you, this is the last time I use fonts this big, as the bishop said to the Catholic <laughs> elephant. We are here... Sorry. We are here in Flanders. Sorry, Flounders, as London is now known. <laughs> and joining me two jab sticks into the already putrefying flesh of the, this week's news to see if it makes a noise. Firstly, it's the man who leaves a trail of destruction in his wake wherever he goes on a football pitch. <laughs> Nish Kumar. Hello, Nish. Hello, Andy. Hello, Alice. Hello, Buglers. I play hard, Andy. Yeah. I play hard. Also, let me Spoiler open... Spoiler alert, he hasn't introduced me no. yet. Oh, right, OK. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. That's better. Hello, no one. <laughs> Let me just first say, yeah. lovely bit of business. Right. Up the top. Papers, right. rustling, yeah. foley. Yeah. It's a strong start to the episode. Um, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. How's your Brexograph reading at the moment? My Brexograph is like my cholesterol after my Christmas holiday to India and New York. Worryingly high. <laughs> Worryingly high. Health-endangeringly high, Andrew. Also joining us without wishing to give anything away that's already been given away, on this historic day, the 231st anniversary of the first bits of the so-called First Fleet carrying the first convicts from Britain to Australia arrived in Botany Bay with an update on how that little social experiment is going. <laughs> it's the Southern Hemisphere's very own Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Hello, Nish. I had nothing to say. Right. I'm here. They're there yes. having discussions about Australia Day and what day it should be on and whether it should have happened in the first place. And the answer is... Uh... <laughs> Every day is Australia Day. Every day in Australia is Australia yeah. Day. And some days in New Zealand, though they don't want to admit it. <laughs> Given the uh, recent spike in racist violence around the time of Australia Day, I imagine there's quite a few people in Australia who are really glad every day is not Australia Day, if I'm honest. We are recording. On the 18th of January, on this day in 1896, H.L. Smith exhibited the world's first X-ray machine and, coincidentally, it was also on that same day, 18th of January 1896, on which someone thought for the very first time, I wonder if I can see through people's clothes with this. <laughs> on this day in 1778, James Cook... Um, celebrity star of uh, exploration in the 18th century, became the first known European to uh, discover the Hawaiian Islands, which he called the Sandwich Islands, was soon renamed Hawaii after Cook returned there the following year and was clonked on the head and stabbed to death on the beach, whilst attempting to respond to a question from his chief cartographer, Granicus Sclavard, who asked Skipper, just quickly while we're here and I've got my map kit out, what is this place called? <laughs> Bit of history for you. Uh, and on this day in 1486, royal wedding. Royal wedding. Royal wedding. Royal wedding. Royal wedding. Royal wedding. Henry the Seventh married Elizabeth of York, thus uniting the previously warring houses of Lancaster and York uh, in the aftermath of the Wars of the Roses. Watch and learn, modern princes. That's how you. F 
fucking get married. You marry for the political good of the country. Where were you, Prince Harry, when we needed you to step up to our national plight and marry Michel Barnier, Brussels' <laughs> chief Brexit negotiator? Where were you, Prince William, when economics dictated that you should flutter your royal eyelids coquettishly at Warren Buffett and whisper, you are my kind of man in my role as a British public utility? Andy, you're really missing out on the importance of Harry picking Meghan Markle, though, because whilst it might not seem to have any geopolitical significance, it has secured suits on UK Netflix <laughs> for the foreseeable future. <laughs> After Brexit, it may be all we've got. As always, some sections of the Bugle are going straight in the bin. This week, uh, an audio cave paintings section. Here you go. Moo. Raw. Bleat. Yeah, they're not that accurate or realistic. <laughs> just about tell what they are. Also in the bin this week, a 10-year challenge section. Well, you might have seen uh, this week that celebrities in the latest social media craze have been proudly parading photos of themselves from 10 years ago, proving that they are indistinguishable on the grounds that they are essentially not human. They only share 2% of human DNA. It does not include the ageing gene. Anyway, who gives a shit what people looked like 10 years ago? This is a podcast, and we want to know what people sounded like 10 years ago. So we are bringing you the audio 10-year challenge. Here's Donald Trump now. I have the absolute right to declare a national emergency. The lawyers have so advised me. I'm not prepared to do that yet, but if I have to, I will. I have no doubt about it, I will. I have the absolute right to declare this was passed by Congress. So when you say, was it passed by Congress? It was. Other presidents have used it, some fairly often. I have the absolute right to declare a national emergency. I haven't done it yet. I may do it. If this doesn't work out, probably I will do it. I would almost say definitely. And now here's Donald Trump from exactly 10 years ago in January 2009. For we know that our patchwork heritage is a strength, not a weakness. We are a nation of Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus, and non-believers. We are shaped by every language and culture, drawn from every end of this earth. Man, has he changed. <laughs> <laughs> Theresa May, now. The deal which I have worked to agree with the European Union was rejected by MPs and by a large margin. I believe it is my duty to deliver on the British people's instruction to leave the European Union, and I intend to do so. And here's Theresa May in 2009. That's the best thing to happen to Theresa May in a long time. <laughs> uh, Winston Churchill, today. <laughs> and now Winston Churchill from 10 years ago. But closer to home, I know what you're thinking, Bugles. What did I, Nish and Alice, sound like ten years ago? Well, as luck would have it, we actually met on this day ten years ago to record a pilot for a TV documentary series about wildlife on this planet. F***ing Attenborough, the doddery old plagiarist. Got him before we could have it made. But anyway, here are some outtakes from the start of that uh, voiceover recording. I'm just saying, 
I think we need to get out of the European Union before they force us to swap the Queen for Bridget Bardot. And we need to privatise the NHS. If people really need curing, the free market will find them. And anyone earning over 500 grand a year should be exempt from tax. Otherwise, what's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? What do you think, Alice? Also, können mir bitte helfen? Ich möchte vorschlagen, dass wir alles, alle Flamingos auf einem riesigen Raumschiff in den Weltraum schicken. Sie sind sinnlose, langbeinige, rosfarbene Symbole für das Scheitern der millennialen Ästhetik. Was für eine Verschwendung von Vogelart. Yeah, absolutely. Where's Andy? It's not like him to be late. <lacht> Sorry, I'm late, guys. Uh, the Gucci shoot overran. Right. What the f is this? Is this Bollinger? Read my f***ing rider! It's Dom Perignon a Sunday! Shit, man, do they f know who I am? Does anyone want to see my tattoo of Mrs. Thatcher? Zieh deine Hose wieder an, bevor ich deinen Schwanz abschieße. Okay, uh, Alice, yeah, we'll, we'll get to work on the nature documentary. Rolling! Zebras are stripy horses that live in the jungle and taste of licorice all sorts, which is why lions like them the best. We've not changed at all. <laughs> I think we've developed a little bit in different ways, but... <laughs> it's January 2009. Long time ago. Anyway, that section in the bin. Top story this week. Oh, any guesses? Any, any guesses, being as we are in... <laughs> Britain at the moment. Um, well, it's been another dramatic week <laughs> for Brexit Britain, in which not only have we discovered, interestingly, that not only does God routinely save the Queen, thanks to our national theme song, but apparently, as evidenced by yesterday's dramatic uh, car accident, she also has transferable save credits that she can <laughs> cash in on her current boyf whenever the need arises. But also... It was a record defeat for the government as our divinely elected incompetocracy continued to fumble our way towards the Brexit trapdoor of joyous freedom. Theresa May leading Britain through our uniquely British DIY quagmire with the sure-handed assurance of a haddock on a quad bike. Incidentally, that is set to replace the Union Jack as, as the flag of the UK once we're free to make our own decisions as a country again, rather than sticking with the old shitting triangles of rectangles shit foisted on us by history. <laughs> Uh, what was I talking about? Um, anyway, uh, her, Theresa May's painstakingly negotiated deal with the EU was voted down by 430 to 200, basically, or in simpler terms, it was vomited back into her face like a baby bird with a profound allergy to worms. Um, Nish is our official um, Britain going down the pan correspondent. <laughs> How have you enjoyed uh, this week's... Uh, well, it's difficult to summarise because, like the first two Star Wars prequels, absolutely everything has happened and yet somehow absolutely nothing has happened. <laughs> because if you think about it, we pretty much are where we were at the start of play, even though we have lived through one of the most momentous weeks in British democratic history. Uh, Theresa May's Brexit deal was rejected by 230 votes. Jeremy Corbyn then responded by tabling a vote of no confidence. Theresa May then won that no confidence vote by 325 to 306 votes. So the government can't pass the most important piece of legislation it needs to pass, and it also can't be removed. Now, I don't know how familiar you two are with the cinematic masterpiece Weekend of Burn. No, not, not massively. OK, it's essentially the story, and I believe it's a sort of Brechtian drama, about two insurance company employees who pretend that their boss, who has died, 
is not dead and prop his body up for the duration of a weekend-long party at his beach house. <laughs> Our government is now Bernie from Weekend of Bernie's. It's essentially <laughs> dead, but it's being propped up and trotted out because of the self-interest of a pack of absolute chances. <laughs> I just I was trying to watch some Brexit stuff to get some information for this segment and it's just phenomenal. The more I hear about Brexit, the less I want to hear about Brexit. <laughs> it's like everything that needs to be said has been said and people have carefully listened to the things that confirmed their initial attitude and ignored the rest. It's like watching a gang of toddlers high on red food colouring screaming angry secrets into one another's mouths. <laughs> You know, they say if you don't laugh, you'll cry, which is bullshit because I spend most of my time neither laughing nor crying. <laughs> Actually, there are a range of other emotional options and I think maybe delicately balanced on the razor edge of apathetic rage staring into a grey future of furiously uninformed vitriol is the most appropriate emotional response to this situation. The original vote, as you will recall, was delayed in December uh, and it turns out uh, that delay was, was crucial because it allowed... Absolutely fuck all to happen, <laughs> apart from five more weeks to pass. The clever strategy being, well, if you hate it now, then one of two things will have happened. In five weeks' time, you'll have either have fallen head over heels in love with it, <laughs> I may refer you now to a different cinematic master masterpiece, Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> with him and that pretty journalist. Who'd have thought they'd have got it on, the yeah, way that film began? Interesting no, Australia fact. Right. Uh, yeah. The whole of the Crocodile Dundee movie is actually our national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't lived until you've seen a stadium full of people going, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, we're now five weeks closer to, uh, to Brex Day. Yeah. And nothing more has happened. So that means that, essentially, we've jumped out of the aeroplane and, you know, if someone has offered you, by way of a parachute, a uh, large fajita, <laughs> you would initially reject it. But if you are then... 40% closer to the moment of impact, you're going to f***ing try anything. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and except a fajita is far too ethnic a food to be a perfect Brexit analogy. It's more just a, a flat piece of bread or some sort of Eccles cake. Um, yeah, it's a terrible state of affairs. Um, I think the Eccles cake would give you quite a good cushioning on landing, actually. Do you think so? From a... From a yep. No, of course he doesn't think so. He never says anything he thinks. <laughs> Have you not met this man? Um, yes, we're uh, ticking closer to uh, a no deal. Now, at the moment, Jeremy Corbyn is trying to uh, continue his negotiations by refusing to negotiate, which is an interesting yeah. strategy, uh, <laughs> because he's insisting that Theresa May take the option of no deal off the table before he even begins negotiations. She's refusing to do that. So, again, nothing is really happening. And all that's happening is that we're getting closer to a no deal Brexit, which uh, this week, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, a man who is, I believe, under investigation by Hercule Poirot... <laughs> Uh, claimed would not be the end of the world, which is really not ideal. That's not what you want. That at a basic level, you've got to set the bar higher. slightly higher than not the end of all life on Earth. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg also, by the way, uh, he was one of the group of hard Brexiters who didn't vote for Theresa May's deal and then celebrated his victory as uh, only a man of the people can by having a champagne reception at his five-bedroom mansion round the corner from Westminster Palace. <laughs> what a guy. What 
a guy. Uh, but we're now lurching closer to a no-deal Brexit. Now, that could mean uh, queues at Dover, uh, and shortages of food and uh, medication. And uh, the one thing we keep being told is, don't worry, uh, we'll survive it, because we survived the Second World War. Now, a couple of problems with that. Firstly, statistically, untrue. Uh, secondly, at the time, we were able to pull resources from our extensive empire. From what I can tell, our empire now consists of Gibraltar and the British Museum. So, I mean, we're all going to have to develop a taste for ancient Egyptian artefacts. And also, the most important element of that sentence is we did not survive the Second World War. <laughs> they very much survived the Second World War. Very important pronoun use. We are not capable of surviving anything. I don't remember watching that stupid f***ing Churchill movie and seeing a kid in the back playing Candy Crush on his iPhone. <laughs> we could not survive a bunch of drones flying over Gatwick Airport. I mean, us having to eat the contents of the British Museum brings new meaning to the phrase yummy mummy. <laughs> <laughs> As you said, there's a lot of worries about what, what may happen in the event of um, uh, what's called a hard Brexit, although I believe the technical term is a f***ing competent Brexit. Um, I should have said Tutankhamun, num, 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 num. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I feel like we might have lost Alice for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Could medicines run out? Uh, well, yes, but who needs health when you have an indefinable sense of national freedom? <laughs> Uh, could the NHS be understaffed? I'll oh, just look it up on the internet. Um, <laughs> medical research funding could be cut. Well, I mean, have you been to a pharmacist lately? There's f loads of medicines as it is. Besides, what's wrong with a bit of British trial and error? It's what built Stonehenge. I mean, it, okay, it didn't really work, Stonehenge, as a multi story ox park, but still. <laughs> what happens? This is one of the very grave concerns about what may happen if there is a no deal Brexit. What happens if Boris Johnson doesn't f off? <laughs> which is looking increasingly likely. Um, he today denied uh, ever making remarks about Turkey during the build-up to the God. referendum, only to be contradicted by facts and a letter that he'd written to the itch finder general Michael Gove and uh, David F. Cameron, as he's now officially known. <gasps> Are you sure it's not David F.C. Cameron? <laughs> I think there might be a C in there, Andy. Right. Um, what if we are left alone with ourselves? This is the most important question, I think. What if we are left alone with ourselves to mull over exactly what we've become as a nation and the withered husk that remains after we've flogged off every public asset apart from the Queen's corgis and then blamed it all on Brussels? That does not bear thinking about. There are no medicines and no food I can cope with. <laughs> Being left alone with ourselves to shove a mirror up our own arse. <laughs> In a way, it will be fitting if we're left with not enough medication and people just have to take an entirely irrelevant medicine for whatever condition they're suffering from. Because in a sense, the whole of Brexit is a kind of misdiagnosis. Because like, there are a lot of problems in this country. Massive inequality, people living uh, you know, below the poverty line, people using food banks. And that was a problem. Uh, but Brexit was not the cure. And the entire Brexit process is essentially prescribing someone with a headache to have their foot cut off. Because <laughs> yeah. now you've not solved the original problem and he's got a f of a lot more on his plate than he had when he started. Thermometer to the soul of the British populace, Boy George, tweeted in response to these Brexit debates, I'm moving to Scotland, uh, to a generally welcoming response from Scottish Twitter. But a spokesman for Boy George has clarified he was joking. <laughs> also, most concerningly, a spokesman for Britain has clarified that Scotland is still in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, European reaction has essentially been, Qu'est-ce que le f***? Um... <laughs> 
was the name of my French textbook when I did GCSE. The the, the second referendum still doesn't seem to be gaining gaining as much traction as you might might think it would. Yeah. Um, because there seems to be an argument that if you have a second referendum, that uh, there'll be um, sort of fascist violence in the street. I mean, now, two problems with that. Firstly, there already is fascist violence in the street. We've already had an MP be murdered by one of them, and a couple of them have been threatening uh, anti-Brexit and left-wing campaigners in the last couple of weeks. But also, I really don't think the solution to fascists is to give in to them. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure Winston Churchill didn't say we will give in on the beaches. (laughs) (laughs) We will concede ground where possible on the beaches. Um, There was some spectacular radio phone-ins, as you would expect, uh, this week. And um, I did hear someone saying, if we have another referendum, it will be the end of democracy in this country. (laughs) Rather than being another bit of democracy. If we have another referendum, we'll be living in a dictatorship. I mean, that's a... How does that sentence exist? Such is a confusing time. Classic sign of a dictatorship. Many referendums. <laughs> Hitler was an absolute bugger for a referendum. Um, but maybe it's, it's a mathematical thing. It's like a double neck. Democracy times democracy equals dictatorship. <laughs> Not democracy squared. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know if a second referendum is the right solution, but it seems like an odd thing to say it's an anti-democratic move. Like, when you ask someone on a date and then on the fourth date you realise they're simultaneously boring and impossibly complicated and you decide you don't want to keep seeing that person, but they're like, you said you wanted to go on a date with me, why would you change your mind? You're a monster who hates democracy, touch my junk. (laughs) You know how that happens. I mean, the the danger of the second referendum is obviously that we would just continue to vote leave, but also they might have to put... It might have to be a more complicated options on the ballot paper. It might not be leave or remain. It might be remain, uh, Theresa May's deal or no deal. Or time and, machine, just back in the... Time, make it the 50s again. Yeah. Uh, for the, the 10 50s yeah. before the f***ing Normans come over. <laughs> or one option that just says... Get rid of the Browns. I, I actually think that would get a surprising amount of traction. Um, but as a nation, we have proved that if asked, we cannot be trusted to not select the option that's kick yourself in the fun bags. <laughs> that was uh, another Theresa May single from 2009. <laughs> kick yourself in the fun bags. I mean, I think a second referendum is useful given the way that British people approach social situations where you're like, would you like a cup of tea? And they go, oh, no, 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 I couldn't possibly. And then you go, but would you like a cup of tea? And they're like, yes, I'd love a cup of tea. (laughs) Maybe it's just a polite refusal, hoping for a second more strenuous offer. This is a really interesting thing that you've brought up in regards to something (laughs) that happened this week. Because it's really weird... When you know you, when you're part of a group, you don't really have a sense of what you're like as a group, and it's only when someone, an outsider, for example, Alice, <laughs> outsider, obviously being a polite term for f***ing immigrant who will soon, who will soon be rid of. Oh no, wait, she's white. That's fine, right? It's really interesting how you you're seen as a people because a group of German politicians and business leaders, uh, including uh, Annegret Kramp Karrenbauer, who's the woman who's primed to take over from Angela Merkel, have sent an open letter to the British people. Uh, and they've uh, sort of basically essentially not begging us to cancel Brexit, but at least saying that the diplomatic channels and the possibility of returning will still be open to us after Brexit. And one of the lines in the letter says, we would miss the legendary British black humour. First of all, 
world. There'll be no black after Brexit. And going to the pub after work hours to drink an ale. We would miss tea with milk and driving on the left-hand side of the road. And we would miss seeing the panto at Christmas. Is that what we are as a nation? Is that what you getting pissed on flat beer and drowning our tea in milk? You know what, Andy? I'm pro-Brexit. I want out of this bullshit. Well, that was basically the level of the campaign from both sides, wasn't it? <laughs> Do we drink that much tea? Why is it everyone sees us through the prism of tea? Oh, because that is how you are perceived. Like, this is just... I mean, would you prefer, they said, we will miss the moaning about our damp feet? <laughs> How do they manage to be damp? We're in Europe, we have central heating, but somehow all of your British feet are always wet. Like, you don't want them to be saying that. Tea is the nicest thing they can say about no, you. Look, also, I mean, yes, I mean, it's fair. We built tea into an interval in our national sport. <laughs> By which I'm what I consider my national sport. I mean, if we're being completely honest and accurate, the two things we should be known for are binge drinking and sexual repression. But it's probably not good to put that in a letter. <laughs> or a dating profile. <laughs> Toxic masculinity news now. And, um, well, it's been an interesting week in the uh, world of... Uh, Adverts addressing the issue of toxic masculinity. Uh, Gillette, the um, celebrity uh, razor and shaving foam manufacturer, um, have issued an advert which didn't really refer to uh, anything to do with shaving. Um, and it's, it's split opinion, this Gillette advert, uh, all about you know, the nature of masculinity and you know, whether men can move on from some of the things that men may have been doing wrong in the past. And the question has arisen, was this a smug, self-satisfied, virtue-signalling, commercially cynical, bandwagon, jump-jacking, smear-attacking of all men with the same presumptive brush? Or was it an attempt to educate men in the new realities of a progressed and progressing world in a smug, self-satisfied, virtue-signalling, <laughs> commercially cynical, bandwagon-jumping way? It was it was both of those, essentially, was it not? Yes, indeed, Andy. The hot takes are piling up like hot cakes on a hot cake shop slate. An ad for men's razors told men that they can be better men and some men are angry about it and other men are angry that those men are angry and women are either angry at the original men or angry at advertising in general and quite vindictively pleased that men are getting a taste of how it feels to be told you're a piece of shit by a marketing company. <laughs> This is one of those stories I resent being asked to have an opinion on because it only became a big deal when news media saw about six tweets from bots and Piers Morgan, who I would say is a bot except no robot could possibly function with the amount of jizzy bin juice running through its pipes. <laughs> I just feel like trying to change the status quo of society through the medium of getting annoyed about how annoyed other people are about ads is like trying to ask someone out by touch-typing a love letter with mittens on and telling a street pigeon to deliver it. Like, I'll be impressed if it works, but I feel there are more efficient ways to get laid. <laughs> The, uh, the advert showed men doing traditionally menly activities uh, in the past, such as bullying, sexual assault and mass Mormon-style barbecues, uh, then being educoaxed by other men into new-style refangled 2019 vintage menlio-testosterous behavioural, such as not bullying, not committing sexual assault and cooking ethical vegan hot dogs using only the warmth of their newly enlightened human hearts. Not entirely clear, Nish, how this sells razors or shaving foam. I would have thought it would be far more effective to just do a montage 
of incompletely shaven men such as Hitler, Stalin and Osama bin Laden <laughs> and set that against cleanly shaven men such as Roger Federer, Mozart <laughs> and... Uh, uh, me, uh, with the slogan, <laughs> join the dots, hairy face, with all due respect, Nick. Yeah, thank you, Andy. This, I was, that sentence was worryingly close to being a hate crime. <laughs> I mean, I think this is that is part of the problem, isn't it? There has become a vogue for men to have beards. So Big Razor, which obviously I know was your wrestling name, uh, <laughs> and the shaving industrial complex have panicked <laughs> and are now having to resort to try and advertise to sort of lame-ass hipsters who have been growing beards. I, I think this is a panic move from the uh, the razor companies. Obviously, there is an enormous correlation between the people getting up, such as my old friend, and by friend, I mean absolutely not friend, Piers Morgan. Uh, there is a massive correlation between people getting upset about this and also people who tell other people to stop being such f***ing snowflakes all the time. <laughs> I just... I just these, these kind of stories where everyone has an opinion and then an opinion on other people's opinion is like a, a bad case of crotch itch or flap rash, if you prefer, uh, where the more you scratch it... Now, the flap more... rash was my wrestling name. <laughs> <laughs> the more you scratch, the more you spread the rash, except in this case, your fingers are made of thrush and mosquitoes and you keep ah! asking people if they want to be fingered by your thrushy mosquito fingers and everyone keeps saying yes for some f***ing reason. <laughs> What an irresistible offer. A family show. <laughs> family show. <laughs> Thrush and mosquitoes. Is that an Oasis single? Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you use, Andy? What? You're a clean-shaven gentleman. Yeah. How do you uh, extract the beard? Do you use well, uh, a girly man Gillette bullshit <laughs> razor or do you use what God and nature intended, which is a steak knife? Well, no, I, I use neither of those things. I use my own fingernails. And I found... <laughs> I'll just, just... All I need to do is just watch the news at the moment and just the process of scratching my own face <laughs> in frustration keeps me smooth as the day I was born. Zoltzman's fingernails, the best a man can get. I mean, I noticed no-one's asked me how I shave my beard, which I think is sexism. <laughs> <laughs> this is toxic massive. <laughs> um, I mean, Gillette did, in terms of promotional activity, they rather painted themselves into a corner historically by basing their entire advertising history on the idea that removing hair from your face with a razor was roughly akin to stalking, chasing down and manually slaying a sabre-toothed T-Rex on the plains of Siberia wearing only a sharkskin jockstrap, rather than being a mildly irritating management of a basic biological process as it is. And so they sort of have, they have to go big, don't they? And the famous slogan, Gillette, the best a man can get, rather overplayed the wondrous life-changing power of a device that takes little bits of hair off your cheeky-weekies. <laughs> what the advert was saying this, this new advert in a smug third millennium advert kind of way was simply, don't be a <laughs> <laughs> So, in, similar in many ways with the teachings of the uh, former alleged male messiah, Jesus Christ, <laughs> whose philosophy can pretty much be summed up as that. Now, there was, and if no offence to anyone, a f***ing hippie in need of a razor. Also, he was a man's man, wasn't he? I mean, he liked nothing more than hanging around with his 12 besties, chewing the cud and sinking some beers. Yeah. Wouldn't building be allowed some, these days, would it? Building some tables, pop into a whorehouse. Classic manly activities. <laughs> a number of questions have been asked in the aftermath of this. Why can't men be men? Uh, the answer which is, uh, they can. Uh, <laughs> why, <laughs> why can't we just let boys be boys? Uh, we can, and we emphatically do. Um, why can't men act these days like ancient Roman men do in films and TV shows anymore? Well, they can, as long as they do it with other consenting would-be <laughs> ancient Romans. 
And in a toga. In a toga, and acknowledging that such behaviour will ultimately lead to their collapse and downfall. And, uh, I mean, what? where will it end? Well, that's another thing, isn't it? Where will it end? Will men no longer be allowed to talk about men's things whilst playing golf with each other like men? They won't. They won't be allowed to. They'll have to talk about flowers and bras and stuff. It's a slippery slope. You can't, you can't, you can't re-cork that Pandora's box. No, the genie is out and she is playing merry hell. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity, but what other forms of masculinity are there other than toxic? Well, I don't think either you or I is qualified to make any comments about masculinity. I've done my research, uh, Dish. Uh, there is uh, coccyx masculinity, <laughs> in which you spend most of your time sitting on your ass watching sport. That one's still OK, isn't it? That one, yeah, yeah, please that say that one's, that one's still OK. Uh, there's sock-chic masculinity, in which men express their style and uh, male independence by wearing expensive and fashionable socks, embroidered with everyday scenes of men bravely not harassing women. There's boxitch masculinity, in which you attempt to model yourself, your body, your lifestyle and your football on the skillful former Croatian forward, Alan Box. Oh, that signed me up for that one. Boxitch was a hell of a player. He was a hell of a player, and uh, a player with whom you have nothing footballingly in common. Oh, Andrew, please. Um, uh, I mean, I could go on. Uh, and based on the previous ed- evidence of this show, I almost certainly will go on. <laughs> the, uh, there's also uh, Doxhick masculinity, in which, in a bantery kind of prank, men kidnap the former England cricketer Graham Hick, dress him up in a pantomime dog outfit and cut his tail off. You are right, I, sh- I should probably have stopped. Um, I mean, I just, I'm sort of puzzled by all of the kind of traditional representations of strong, silent, uh, stoical, brave masculinity that they seem to have left out the very important part of masculinity, which is going on Twitter and telling women they're awful. <laughs> Listen, if a man cannot do that in the comfort of his own office, <laughs> then what is the point of being a man? More advertising news now. A poster campaign by Red Bull has been banned for wrongly implying that the energy drink has health benefits, including increasing focus and concentration. Posters shown on the London Underground suggested Red Bull could help workers finish their work and get home by 4pm, and complaints said it was promoting health claims it could not back. Red Bull argued to the Advertising Standards Association it was just promoting its own national 4pm finish day, which it had just made up. (laughs) Also, on the Underground, you do not want... The drivers of those trains being influenced by that advert. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is, of course it's bullshit. Everyone knows energy drinks won't make you finish early. Energy drinks will make you stick around for three hours of quivering overtime, alternately congratulating yourself on your work of staggering genius and having panic attacks, only to wake up the next day and find out you spent 14 hours writing the word potato a thousand times and pasting it into Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Which... Uh, also has been part of our Brexit negotiation strategy. <laughs> David Davis is absolutely up to his eyes in Monster. <laughs> I, can I just say, yeah. I don't really understand where people are watching adverts anymore because like, most of the television I consume is through sort of on-demand sources. I skip ad on YouTube 
and I've managed to time my cinema visit so that I avoid the adverts and hit the trailers. Ever since, there was an advert for a car a couple of years ago that used the Dead Prez song, Hip Hop, and when I saw it, I became so angry I nearly passed out. <laughs> and since then, I've managed to cut advertising entirely out of my life. I'm not sure how people are... Well, these are posters on the tubes. We don't all have special limos, Nish. Yeah. Yeah, that which I annoyingly used to drive me onto the tube, <laughs> causing huge inconvenience on the central line. A quick America update now, and... Um, he's going to jail! <laughs> he's going to jail! Well, is he going to jail? I mean, the, the latest in a BuzzFeed article has suggested uh, that... And there is no proof of this, Nish, other than the basic assumption that it's probably true. Uh, <laughs> That uh, Donald Trump ordered his lawyer, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress and encourage him to set up a meeting with Vladimir Putin. I mean, it does seem that what essentially Trump's best hope now might be to just keep that shutdown going forever (laughs) so that no courtrooms are in operation (laughs) until at least 300 years from now. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, we don't know the full evidence yet and, you know, no smoke without fire. Of course, is written into uh, the Magna Carta and the, the what about US a smoke Constitution. Machine? Well, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that does predate. And also, Trump is reaching the stage now where he is essentially standing in the fire, shouting, "It's not fire! It's a load of dancing carrots." <laughs> I uh, watched the movie Vice uh, over the Christmas holidays and uh, the more and more I see of President Trump, I saw an interview with Christian Bale afterwards that said he was no longer going to gain weight for roles because it was starting to endanger his health. Well, nut up, Bale. (laughs) You're going to have to gain more weight than you thought possible and disguise it in an 80s power suit to complete Adam McKay's inevitable third part of his trilogy of American tragedy. (laughs) He's going to jail! Don't... Take this away from me, Andy. <laughs> I, I need this. I can't... With Brexit, I can't survive without... The only hope is that I see Trump get absolutely shawshanked into oblivion. <laughs> That's the only thing I've got left. Robots not taking the world over after all news now, and it turns out that robots are f***ing shit at their jobs. <laughs> a, uh, a hotel in uh, Japan has sacked half of its robots as a robot hotel where the staff are robots because the robots working there were so shit that they created more work for the humans controlling the robots. So, <laughs> um, That's great. I mean, this is great news for Absolutely everyone great. fearing the uh, automation apocalypse that is uh, surely coming. I mean, my favourite part of the story is the velociraptors at the front counter now need a su- human supervisor <laughs> to do all the velociraptors' work because the velociraptor can't, for example... Alice, you can't just say my favourite bit is the velociraptors at the front counter as if that's just a standard feature of yeah, all hotels. Yeah, it's not even a dinosaur-themed hotel. That's it's, what it's, I can't like work a... out what the theme of this hotel is. And why would you not leave your velociraptor doing the thing it's good at, which is opening doors, yeah. <laughs> rather than greeting guests at the front counter like the world's most menacing maitre d'. Interesting note, maitre d' is actually Latin for mother's penis. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine that being your job. I'm a personal assistant for a non-sentient mechanical proto-chicken because <laughs> it can't that do photocopying. Is, 
I mean, I do think the Velociraptor at the front counter is a phrase to set alongside the elephant in the room. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe it's, it's got a new Brexit. We don't have an elephant in the room now with Brexit. Yeah. We have a Velociraptor, Velociraptor at the front, at the front counter. counter. I'm very worried because those two Velociraptor robots have been decommissioned. And if I learned nothing from early to mid-90s dystopian science fiction action movies, and if I'm honest, I learned very little from anything else in that period of time, <laughs> it's that the two things you can't trust are supposedly decommissioned robots and velociraptors. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm just saying the last thing we need in this economy is unemployed robots taking all the jobs in the gig economy, right? <laughs> I've got nothing against robots. I just think they should go back to where they came from, sci-fi novels, and leave the menial underpaid grunt work to immigrants where it belongs. <laughs> Um, it does raise certain workplace equality issues because uh, many robots are actually paid less than women for the same work. <laughs> and there are way, way fewer robots in the boardrooms of top global businesses than there are <laughs> women. So, so much for equality, Mrs. Pocker Honhurst. <laughs> Well, uh, that draws us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle. Um, I'm sure by next week, uh, Brexit will be fine. It'll all be done. We'll be gone. What, what are you basing that on? Nothing. <laughs> that's, that's the trend, isn't it? Wishful thinking. I mean, you can just go and Nish and I can keep going. <laughs> um, don't forget to book your tickets to the forthcoming Bugle Tour of the United States of America, uh, beginning on the 26th of February and running through to uh, kind of midway through March. Uh, details on the internet, and do bring all of your friends. Uh, anything to plug? I've got a tour, yeah. I start uh, next... It's it's of the UK. I start uh, next week uh, in Belfast, and uh, some of the dates are selling surprisingly well, and others of the dates are selling as expected. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially if you live in Scotland and know about 2,500 people, can you disperse them to Aberdeen, Dunfermline and Glasgow, please? <laughs> For the love of God. Uh, I have a show on the 17th of February in London. I will be filming my show Ethos at the Museum of Comedy and uh, tickets are available now at the Museum of Comedy website and I'm, it'll be there and there's two times because I'm filming it twice because... I assume I'll make some mistakes. <laughs> it's my double act with the robot show. Uh, thank you for listening, Buglers. Until next time, goodbye. 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 Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss... Lime bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.